Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We don't always feel like we died to sin, do we? And a lot of times we have strong feelings that are tempting us towards sin. So what do I do about that? Well, this is where I have to recognize that there is a spiritual truth and I have to stand firmly on that truth regardless of how I might feel. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 14 in a message titled, The Old and New Self. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We're looking here at Paul's letter to the Colossians. We come now as we come to this fifth verse in the third chapter, we come now to the practical aspect of the letter. And now he comes to where he's now calling us to live out our faith. And that's a consistent pattern in all of Paul's writings. He always, of course, he starts with an introduction, but he always moves first into what we would call the doctrinal side of things. He moves into the work of God. And after he has expounded on all that God has done, then he, he always transitions to what we are to do in response. And that's what he's doing here. So we've died with Christ. He's been talking about that. And so since that's the reality, we are now to put to death our members that are here upon the earth. So we're gonna jump right into that. But let me remind you, I wanna go back to a quote that I gave in the previous study from N.T. Wright, because we're following up on the same types of things that we began to develop there. But the quote went like this, learning to believe what doesn't at the moment feel true is an essential part of being a Christian. Let me say it again. Learning to believe what doesn't at the moment feel true is an essential part of being a Christian. Now, the reason I wanted to start with that again is because Paul now is telling us, so he's, he's told us that we died with Christ, but yet now he's telling us to put to death. So how is it if we, if we died, why do we have to put anything to death? Well, this is the reason because as we pointed out previously, and as the, the statement from N.T. Wright indicates, we don't always feel like we died to sin, do we? And a lot of times we have strong feelings that are tempting us towards sin. So what do I do about that? Well, this is where I have to recognize, like we said before, that there is a truth that is a a spiritual truth and I have to stand firmly on that truth regardless of how I might feel. So the truth is I died to sin because Christ died to sin. I'm in Christ. What happened to Christ literally happened to me spiritually. And so now I'm dead to sin, even if I don't feel like I'm dead to sin. And so Paul 
tells us here in verse five, he says, therefore, and of course, it's because of the fact that you died and your life is hid with Christ in God. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And now he's going to go through a number of things here. And, and these are the things that are part of the old nature. These are the things that we thought and the things that we did before coming to Christ. So what Paul is talking about here is very similar to what he talked about in Ephesians. He's talking about the new person versus the old person. And so the old person, the old life that I lived, I'm to put that off. I'm to put that away. And now I'm to put on the new person. So I've just titled the message, the old and the new self because that is what we're talking about here. So when he says put to death, this is the idea he's talking about, you know, putting these things off. In in other words, not engaging in these things. And the first thing that he says here is translated in our New King James Version as fornication. Most other translations translate the word sexual immorality And that's a better translation because it's the Greek word porneia. And the Greek word porneia, we get our word pornographic from it. But that Greek word was really kind of a catch-all for all kinds of sexual sin. And so Paul, this is where he starts. He starts with the putting off of these things that are impurities that rise up out of the old nature were to put these things aside. So let's talk about sexual immorality for a moment. And let me just say this, the world that Paul preached to had a sexual ethic that was very similar to the one that we in the West have today. And and really what's happened in regard to sexuality in the Western world is we have gone back to a pagan sexuality. So what we're seeing in our cultures today here in the West, whether it's in the United States or Canada or Australia, New Zealand, uh, all over um, Europe, any place where Western civilization has touched down and has taken deep root, you're going to find the same kinds of sexual ideas and agendas. And, And these go back to the ancient world. This is how the ancient world lived. And it was really, it was the influence of the gospel that changed the way people thought and behaved regarding sexuality. As the influence of the gospel begins to wear off on Western culture, we're seeing, it's like a resurgence of the pagan ideas of sexuality. And so, but let me just clarify what sexual immorality refers to. And it's, it's really quite simple. You don't have to get real complicated in trying to explain it. There's actually only one means of sexual expression that God allows, only one. But within that one, it's, hey, have all the pleasure and enjoyment and, and fun you have. But the, but the one expression of 
sexual activity that God allows is the expression of sexual activity within a heterosexual marriage. Now, this is a big, big problem for many, many people in the culture today. Many people feel like this is oppressive. It's obviously restrictive. I mean, for many people, it's actually hateful. It's seen as being hateful. But we have to think about this. And when I talk to people about sexual ethics and things like that, I always want to start not with sex. I want to start with God. I want to start with whether or not there is a God. And uh, because to me, that's really the issue. If there is a God and he has spoken about sexuality, and if there is a God, then we're, we're believing, if we believe there is a God, we're believing the God, that God created everything, right? So if there is a God who created everything, including me, and he's spoken about sexuality, then what he says about it is going to be the facts. It's going to be the truth because, of course, he's the one who created it. So this is where I always start. I want to start with God. Is there a God? Because look, if there is no God, if mankind is the byproduct of natural processes, then we cannot say that one sexual standard or ethic is any better than any other. And it really is just to each his own, just whatever suits you, that's what you do. You know, that would, that would be the case if there was no God. But like I said, if there is a God, And if this God created us, and if this God created our sexuality, and if this God has a purpose for our sexuality, and he's declared to us what that is, then we are obligated to that. That's why so many people who want to live, you know, free sexually, oftentimes deny that there is a God, because they know that God's going to interfere with their sexual desires. And so... Again, simply, any sex outside the marriage bed is forbidden by God. That is the simple, straightforward teaching of Scripture. There's no one group of people who practice one type of sexual behavior that is singled out as any more sinful than anyone else all sexual activity outside of the marriage bed between a biological man and a biological woman, all of it is prohibited by God. You might say, well, why would God do that? Because God knows best. God created sex and he knows the right time and place and environment for that to take place. And like I said, when you're in that covenant relationship, when you're in that marital relationship, enjoy all the sex you want. But once you take it outside of that, that's when it becomes sinful. Now, some people really are upset because they say, well, I don't have a desire for an opposite sex partner. And so basically you're telling me that God is forbidding me from ever having sex. Well, you know, in one sense that is true, but what we need to know is we were not made for sex. Sex is part of who we are. The part of the problem, a big part of the problem is that we have now in our culture, many people are 
exclusively identifying themselves around sexuality. And if the whole world is about sex, then I could see where this becomes a, a real problem. But according to the scripture, sex is part of who we are, but it's certainly not the totality of who we are. And my life is not going to be better or worse, whether or not I can have a sexual relationship. Now, I said the word porneia is a word that's like an all-inclusive word. It, include, it includes, and it's translated here, fornication. Fornication means to have what we would call premarital sex. But this word is way broader than premarital sex. It includes premarital sex. It includes extramarital sex, which would be what we would call adultery. But it includes things like pornography. It includes all of the different things that are just all sort of you know, bundled together when it comes to sexuality. And of course, what's happened here in our culture today, really, I think what has happened is sex has become a major idol. But listen to what Paul says. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So two things, God will judge the sexually immoral person that will inevitably happen. God loves sexually immoral moral people. We've, we've all been sexually immoral to one degree or another, but yet God loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent Christ to die for those things that were an offense to him. And he has forgiven those sins of ours. And that's his first and primary desire, not to bring his wrath upon those who live in sexual sin, but to forgive them and to pour out his mercy upon them and to bring them into a relationship with him and out of that kind of behavior. And he's completely willing and desirous to forgive us for our offenses in that regard. Uh, but if we persist, then there will be a judgment that comes. And oftentimes that judgment starts here and now. It, it, it doesn't only wait till the future. It starts here and now. And, and many would testify about how their sexual behavior has led to many, many personal problems in their life, sometimes physical problems, obviously relational problems, sometimes even emotional and mental problems. But Paul says, you did that. That was who you were before, but this is no longer the case. And you see, that's the beauty of the power of the gospel. The gospel sets us free from the idols of the past. So he goes on now and he says in verse eight, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, or rage is another way to translate this word. Malice. Malice means the desire to harm. So we're to put away malice. We are to put away Slander. The word in my version is translated blasphemy, but it's better translated, I think, slander. When we think of blasphemy, we're normally thinking of something against God. This word is just speaking of slandering our fellow men and women. And then the other thing he says is putting off the, the filthy language out of your mouth and do not lie to one another. So all of these things, Paul says, these are the things of the old life. And now you died to these things. 
And since you died to these things, you're to know that that is the truth. And even if you don't feel like you've died to them, you live as though you died to them. You act as though you died to them. You no longer let them control you. And we're, we're gonna come around to this at the very end of the message, but just, you know, just, just a quick word on it. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us power over our desires. And in a process of time, he actually transforms us even in regard to our desires. It doesn't mean that we might never have these kind of desires again, but they never control us like they once were able to control us. And so he goes on and he says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old with his, the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And so now he goes on in verse 12 and he says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So put on these things. Paul's using this language of putting off and putting on. I mean, think of it as, you know, you get dressed. You, you know, you go to bed at night, you take off your, your, your clothes and you go to bed, you get up in the morning and you put your clothes on. And this is the picture. We take off the old life and we put on the new life. Those things that he describes here, the tender mercies, the kindness, the humility, the meekness, the long suffering and the forgiveness. And just notice this really quickly about forgiveness. Notice what Paul says in regard to forgiveness here. He says, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. See, this is how we forgive. A lot of times we're in a quandary. Well, how do I forgive that person? Well, Paul says, think about how Christ forgave you. And just as Christ forgave you undeservedly and freely, not to hold anything against you in the future, all of those aspects of it. He says, just as Christ did this for you, then you do this for others. Now, Paul is talking here. The context here is among the people of God. And you see, among the people of God, we are to express toward one another tender mercies. We're to be merciful. We're to be humble. We're to be meek. We are to be long-suffering or patient is another way to translate the word. But uh, long-suffering gives the picture of, you know, this is really annoying, but I'm going to just not let the annoying person get to me. I'm, I'm going to keep suffering in this. And this is what we're called to do. But then he says, above everything else, put on love. Put on love because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. So all those things that we just talked about, tender mercies, kindness, humility, long-suffering, meekness, forgiveness, 
all of it's bound together in love. So if we love each other, then all of these things will be there. And so this is what we are to do. We are to put on or to put off the old and we are to put on the new. So here it is as I close. If you are in Christ, remember this, you are a new creation. You are a new creation already. And old things are gone and the new has come. So the new has come. Old things are gone. Oh, wait a second. I don't feel like they're gone. They're gone. And you're to stand on that. That is a spiritual truth. That is a fact. You are to stand upon it and you are to no longer let those things control you. So here you are, you're trying to stand. You've got these strong urges, these feelings, and you're, you're starting to get pulled in this direction. You say, wait a second, stop. That's not me. That's the old me. But the old me died with Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. And so as a new creation, no, I'm going to put on these things. So whether you feel like it or not is not the point. You see, the fact is, as I said, we are new in Christ. So begin to act like the person you are, not like the person you feel you are. And in time, you'll see that the new you will emerge more and more as time passes. The new you will emerge. As you say no to the old man and you say yes to the new nature, you're going to find that through a process of time that your desires are going to become more and more toward the things of the new. You've perhaps heard the saying, fake it till you make it. Well, it's a bit like that, except you're not really faking it because you truly are a new person in Christ. Fake it till you make it is not really that great of a slogan because we don't want to fake anything, but we're not faking it. We're just acting on what is really true regardless of how I feel. So going back to where we started, learning to believe what doesn't at the moment feel true is an essential part of being a Christian. And that's what we're talking about here. It's a lot of these things, man, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't feel the love. I don't feel the, the humility. I don't feel any of that. But that's who you really are. So begin to act it out. Begin to live on it. You, oh, but, but I feel this. But, but that's not you anymore. That's the old you. That person's gone. And you have to just recognize that and stand in the reality of the fact that you are a new creation in Christ. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Today, there are so many things swirling around in the culture regarding sexuality, regarding the body, regarding ideas like, well, my body says I'm one thing, but my mind tells me I'm something else. How do we make sense of this stuff? 
are there biblical answers? And yes, there are. My good friend Sam Albury has written a book called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. And in it, he's going to address the issues of same-sex relations. He's going to address transgenderism and several other things that pertain to our bodies. And he's going to address these current issues. He's going to do it in a very biblically sound way and a very loving and gracious way at the same time. So I want to highly recommend What God Has to Say About Our Bodies by Sam Albury. Check it out. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury. You can order the book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies by Sam Albury. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Colossians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.